If you've been tracking along with us over the last um, few weeks, you know that on my Sundays uh, at the podium, we've been teaching through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're calling the series Fruitful uh, from Galatians chapter 5. So today we're in part four. And I know part four already, you're like, wow, time flies when you're teaching. It's just amazing. Part four already. Wow, I thought I'd get a response. Anyway, in part, <laughs> yeah. In part one, I mentioned that um, one of the things I'm excited about for this series is that you're going to hear from some people that you haven't really had a chance to hear from yet. Now you're excited. These are people who are growing in their influence in our church, have been contributing to the culture and the values of our church. This is a group of people that we're being really intentional about both pouring into as they grow in their leadership and, and mentoring and coaching them um, as they expand their influence influence, and then giving them opportunities to pour into you as well. Because we know that in the church, uh, your influence grows exponentially when you have a chance to teach uh, in the Sunday gathering on a pretty regular basis. So kind of a new day at Faith Community here. We're really excited about growing our teaching team here on Sundays. We have six people who have committed to this process of engaging in intentional, frequent, focused, thoughtful conversations um, about um, our church culture, about our approach to teaching, about our vision for the future. And before this series is over, you're going to have a chance to hear from most of this team. And I would simply ask that as they come to teach over the next few weeks, that you would give them the same kind of respectful attention that you have always given to me and Pastor Bob. That's all we're asking for. Uh, and you can have confidence in what they're teaching because we aren't just looking for people who are, you know, naturally dynamic, gifted speakers with, with big personalities and fine-tuned communication skills. That's not what we're looking for. We feel like we've identified six individuals right here in our church who have a heart for the church, who have a desire to fulfill their God-given potential, have a willingness to develop some new skills even, if that means standing in front of a group of people and talking for half an hour, in order to communicate a life-giving message. And a grand, they have a grand vision of what the church can be, what this church could be in our lives and in the life of our community. So today, Amanda Elliott's going to come to teach part four of our Fruitful series. Some of you have gotten to know Amanda um, over the last few years. Let me tell you a little bit about Amanda before she comes. First of all, Amanda and I go way back so far back that I don't think she remembers when we met, okay? So we met in the fall of 1989. Uh, it's not possible that either of us are old enough, but a few years, let's just say a few years after that, uh, she graduated from Cedarville University. Uh, it was in 2005 with her bachelor's degree in early childhood education. Uh, she moved to China in 2005, stayed there for seven years until 2012, uh, where she taught at an international school in 2012, she moved to Indonesia to teach with SPH International. Then after teaching for three years in Indonesia, she moved back to the States to pursue uh, a prompting to help others with their emotional health and to grow in their relationships with God. So she went back to school and went to Columbia International University, graduated in 2019 with her master's in counseling. She's currently working at Community Health and Counseling in Ellsworth as a mental health uh, therapist. I am so glad that Amanda decided to settle here in Ellsworth. Um, and yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, you have some friends in the room. Nice. That, that helps, right? Yeah, that's good. Um, and uh, 
and even better at Faith Community, you know, and she graduated three years ago, and uh, she's become such an asset to our church family um, as a trusted advisor and sounding board for me, and I know for some of you too. So a few months ago, when our conversation shifted to the idea of sharing on, uh, on, the, the, on the Sunday teaching, I said, I'm working on this idea for a series, and I think this would be a great time for you to just jump in the deep end. And then when I told her, we're going to do a week on each of the fruit of the Spirit, so which one do you want? And she didn't hesitate to say peace. So today, we're talking about peace, and here's Amanda with today's message. All right, I'm going to start again with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The book of Galatians was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Paul was a former religious leader who had a direct encounter with Jesus that changed his life completely. He went from being an expert in the Old Testament law and persecuting Christ's followers to being a servant of Christ focused on sharing the message of Jesus with Gentiles and preaching that salvation comes through God's grace alone. Paul knew firsthand what it meant to be saved by grace and to have his life transformed by the power of the Spirit. Christianity began as a move of, movement of Jews who put their faith in Jesus in being the Messiah or the promised one. The gospel message was for all people, not just Jews, and the message of Jesus had been spreading throughout the Gentile world. There were some Jews who wrongfully thought that in order for the Gentile Christians to really be Christ followers, they needed to keep the Old Testament laws. Paul is warning the people in the churches in Galatia to be careful not to follow those that were twisting the true message of salvation, that Christ, the, the true message of Christ, that salvation is through grace and not something that a person can earn through do's and don'ts. At that time, some of the things that the Jews thought were necessary were for Christians to be circumcised, eat kosher, and obey the Sabbath. Some of these Jews that had come to the churches in Galatia were demanding that the Christians there get circumcised in order to truly be a part of God's family. Galatians 5, 2-4 states, Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you tr are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. I have a feeling that most of us are not trying to get right with God through being circumcised and not eating bacon. <laughs> but I do wonder, what would we fill in this warning that may hit closer to home? If you are counting on blank to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Good works, family beliefs, church attendance, giving, religious acts of service, being a good person. Paul warns us that if we try to earn salvation to become right with God through do's and don'ts, we will be cut off from Christ and have fallen away from grace. Instead of attempting to earn our position with Christ through keeping the law or the rules, we trust that God came, came to earth to show us in a whole new way what it means to be God in human form, to perfectly uphold the law and to take our punishment that separates us from God. The Spirit of God now lives in us and empowers our, our lives to look in us to live our lives in ways that look more and more like how Jesus would live if he were us. 
In this way, we are freed from the burden of trying to keep the law, but instead can live in freedom with the power of the Holy Spirit as he guides us day by day. Galatians 5, 13 to 14 states, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Those principles lead us to the passage on the fruit, what our lives will look like when what our lives will be like when God's transforming work power is at work in us, which today's focus is, as we mentioned, is the word peace. When Todd first approached me about having a turn talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I knew immediately that I wanted to talk about the word peace. Peace is not something that has come naturally or easily to me. My first thought is that peace is really something I need to work on. But then I had to stop and ask myself the question, how can I work on something that I can't produce on my own? I can't make myself more peaceful. It's a work that God does in me. So as we look at the fruit of peace, let's pause and invite God to open our hearts and help us be more aware of his presence with us here today. God, I just thank you so much that you are here with us in this room, Lord. We just thank you that we are um, so perfectly and unconditionally loved by you and that you have made a way for us to be at peace um, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, Lord. So I pray that you would just help our hearts to um, be open to your word and open to your love and just receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so what words and pictures come to your mind when you hear the word peace? Is it freedom from conflict, tranquility, a life with no problems? For me, my first picture of peace is nature. Maybe myself sitting at the beach with a good book, not getting sunburned. <laughs> or maybe it's something more like this. <laughs> However, oftentimes when I think about peace day to day, I can let my circumstances be more dependent on how I experience peace. Maybe I'll have a peaceful day if everyone I meet is kind to me, or if I can get all the things on my to-do list done, or if nothing I perceive as bad happens. Maybe you can relate to that definition of peace, or maybe you would add something else that makes you feel peace. I think we can all agree that most people in our lives are searching for more peace. So what would the fruit of peace look like in your life? As I reflected on this question, the phrase that came to my mind was, peace starts with grace and, and, and leads to freedom. As we consider this phrase, let's begin by watching this video, which gives an overview of the way the word peace was used in the Bible. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. 
The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. The first step in experiencing this peace is to receive peace from God through the gift of salvation. Colossians 1, 20-23 states, And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Even though you were once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you, through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If, indeed, you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope you have believed in. And this is the glorious news I preach all over the world. The way that we have peace with God is accepting what he has done for us out of his love and mercy on the cross. When the world was created originally, it was perfection, completely at peace, whole. God walking freely with man and nothing separated them. But when Adam and Eve exercised their free will to sin got disobey, by disobeying God's commandment, since that time, as humans, we have all sinned and been separated from God. 
Sometimes it can sound offensive to be considered a sinner, but I think if we all stop and examine our hearts, we can all think of things that we have done against God and others that we know we should not have done. I know I spent many years trying to avoid sinning, but that was exhausting and impossible to do on my own. Even though I knew God forgave sins, I tried as best as I could to look good on the outside and make up for it as best as I could when I did do something wrong. I was plagued with guilt, shame, and condemnation because even though I tried so very hard, I could never be good enough. I now see salvation as not only the freedom from the punishment of sin, but freedom from the weight of guilt, shame, and condemnation. The ability to live as in freedom and love as God's cherished daughter. It is important to also recognize that not all sin is a result is that of a result of personal behavior choices. We live in a broken world that is permeated by the presence of sin. Because of sin, we have been all been wounded by others, some in very painful and traumatic ways that can leave us feeling broken down, defeated, condemned, and ashamed. But God, through Jesus, made a way for us to be free from sin and at peace with God. This graphic shows an overview of the story of Jesus. Jesus left perfect peace with God in heaven to come to the world to show what God was like living in human form. Jesus lived a life without sin, which no human being had ever been able to do and never has since. Jesus died on the cross, taking our punishment for sin and rose from the dead, proving that he was God and that he had conquered sin and death. He then went back to heaven and poured out his, his spirit for those who have placed their faith in, and trust in Christ and surrendered their lives to him. His spirit is at work as his kingdom grows here on earth and more and more people become, a, become children of God and a part of God's work to restore earth and mankind back to better than before and to secure our position being right with God. If we have accepted Christ's work on our behalf, we receive the ability to be right with God and no longer separated from God by our sin. Instead, we are brought close to him and not only saved from sin, but given the title of child of God. We are accepted, delighted in, and loved unconditionally. Our identity becomes that as beloved, and we no longer have to feel, fear guilt, shame, and condemnation from our past because we are set free. Knowing that we are loved and free because of Jesus' love helps us experience his peace with us day by day, hour by hour, and his presence is peace. So what would it look like to be made complete or to experience the wholeness and shalom that God's spirit makes available to us? In his book, Help Me Help Others, Dr. Larry Wagner uses this illustration to explain Christ's work of creating peace in our lives. When God originally created the world, his design was that man was in a peaceful, loving relationship with their creator, each other, and creation. This is represented here by the complete circle. Because sin entered the world, it created separation from God and deeply impacted man's relationships with each other and creation. This results in feelings of emptiness, loneliness, and restlessness. Because as humans, we are not designed to live in this way, we tend to find temporary things to fill in the gaps. This is what Wagner calls plugs. These are things that temporarily ease the pain, distract us, and keep us busy. Plugs can be relationships, substances, sex, food, recreation, things, work, children, even spiritual practices and attending church. The problem is that anything that we try to fix the pain with will not create true peace. 
eventually what was a temporary fix starts to unravel and no longer creates feelings of happiness or relief. When God sustains us through a difficult time in life, we have a chance to let his fruit become ripe and his work in our lives shine through to others. I want to take some time to look at something that happened in the life of Jesus, and we find it in Mark chapter 5. Mark is in the New Testament, and it's what we refer to as one of the four Gospels, the four books of the Bible that record the life and ministry of Jesus and his followers. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is traveling with his disciples when a man named Jairus comes up to him and begs him to come to his home and heal his daughter who is dying. Now, maybe he had heard that Jesus had healed other people, and that's why he was seeking them, him out. We're not sure. But what we do know is Jesus has agreed to go with him, and, but on his way, something else happened. Mark chapter 5, verse 24 states, So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had, all, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Here's Jesus with Jairus, and he's supposed to be going to heal his daughter. There's a crowd of people around him wanting to come too. And in this crowd, there's a woman with some type of bleeding condition that she's been dealing with for 12 years. So why is this detail significant? Due to Jewish purity laws, a person with a bleeding condition like hers would be considered unclean. There would be restrictions on her life. She would be restricted from any physical contact with other people because if they came in contact with her, they too would be considered unclean. So basically, she would have been treated similar to a leper, like likely banned to the outskirts of her village for 12 long years. Let's think about that for a second. She would have lived completely cut off from her friends, family, and community, all alone, isolated, and desperate for 12 long years. She had spent everything she had going from doctor to doctor, and no one could fix this condition that she had. So for 12 years, she lived in isolation with anxiety and brokenness, always wondering how she was going to make it through. That was her life until she met Jesus. And that's is my favorite part of the story, the but Jesus part. As we see in so many other people's stories in the New Testament. For example, Matthew the tax collector was hated and despised by his own people, and well, by most people in general. But Jesus walks by and says, follow me, and it changes his whole life. Or the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, just fishing, doing their job, but Jesus walks up to them and invites them to follow him, an opportunity they had never thought possible, and he invites them to be his disciples, and it changes the direction of their life. Maybe you have your own but Jesus story, where he stepped into your life and everything changed. That's exactly what's about to happen to this woman. In the midst of her storm, in the midst of her struggles, and of the last 12 years of life, it says this, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt, she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. She doesn't say anything to him. Did you notice that? She doesn't say, Jesus, can you please heal me? She believes that all she has to do is get close enough to Jesus and just reach out and touch him. And that's all it's going to take to end her misery, to end her isolation, to rescue her and free her from anxiety, and to, for her to be made whole. 
So imagine the scene, Jesus surrounded by the crowd of people, everyone wanting to get close enough to see and hear what's going on. They wanted him to follow him home to Jairus' house to see if he was really going to heal that little girl. And what does this unclean woman do? She pushes her way through the crowd. Excuse me, pardon me, coming through. And remember, she's unclean. She isn't even supposed to be in this crowd. Every person that she comes in contact to with on her way to Jesus becomes unclean too. But she doesn't care. She just needs to get to Jesus, and she's going to do whatever she has to do to get there and to touch his clothes. Mark tells us when she touches his clothes, she was immediately healed. So for 12 years, she had this bleeding condition. She's probably extremely weak. But when that moment happens, when she touches his garment, suddenly everything is different. Her pulse quickens. Her heart is racing. She feels alive again. She is healed. I would think in that moment she would have all kinds of energy. Can you imagine how amazing when it was when she touched the garment of Jesus and was healed? Now look at what, now look at what Jesus does, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. When you think about this passage, how do you imagine Jesus interacts with this woman? Was he angry, annoyed, disappointed? I don't think Jesus whipped around and yelled at the woman, I think he spoke to her gently in a tone of love. I think Jesus knew exactly what happened and looked around the crowd to find the woman. And when he said, who touched my clothes? I imagine that he was looking right at her, smiling at her, because I think that all of a sudden he knew her life had been changed completely. I think he knew that she had become whole, that she had been healed. So Jesus says, who touched me? Verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Trembling with fear. She wasn't afraid of him, and she wasn't afraid of what he was going to do. She knew in that moment that she was standing in the presence of the creator of the universe, the one who had breathed the stars into existence, the savior of the world, the one who in that moment brought healing into her body and changed her life forever. She wasn't afraid of him. She was in awe of who he was, and so she fearfully dropped to her knees in his presence. I picture Jesus reaching down, lifting her up. Their eyes meet, and this is what he says to her. Verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. He calls her daughter. I think that word would have taken her breath away because for 12 years she had no family and she didn't belong anywhere. All she had known was isolation and desperation because Jesus looks at her and says, I see you, my child. He says, your faith has healed you. It wasn't the garment. The clothes that I'm wearing have no special power. Your faith has done it. Your faith has healed you because you believe by drawing, to me, drawing near to me, you could be healed you could be made whole. There's so much packed into that one sentence. It's incredible. It's an incredibly beautiful scene, and Jesus says to her, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Peace. The Jewish people use the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. They would even greet people in that way, shalom. 
In the Old Testament, shalom meant wholeness. It was an all-encompassing word that covered mental, physical, and emotional well-being, as well as harmony between people and a blessing for good to the blessing for the good of others. It was understood of, uh, as wholeness, health, and vitality that only God could give. So what she would have heard was, go in wholeness, healed from your disease. Jesus offered her shalom, peace within. In John chapter 16, a couple books over in the New Testament, you find Jesus talking to his disciples, his followers, and he's been describing to them what's, he's, he's describing to them what it's going to be like following him. He never misled them. He never told them that things were going, that the thing that they were giving their lives to was going to be easy all the time. He didn't promise them a life by the ocean relaxing with a good book. It wasn't going to be like that. It was going to be hard and they were going to experience conflict. So he's explaining this to them and then in John 16 verse 33 he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So where does your peace within start? Our peace within starts by knowing that Jesus has overcome, that God has never given up on humanity. Jesus says that you will have trouble in this world, but take heart. But first, put your trust in me. I have overcome the world. There will be a day when all things are made right. So draw near to me and let my peace, my shalom, be in you. In Philippians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Philippi, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be anxious about anything. That can seem out of reach, like an impossibility. There are days when I feel anxious about nearly everything, and I have a feeling I'm not alone. We worry, we play the situation over and over again, and we get overwhelmed by the weight of the world. We go to the most catastrophic result, and we begin to slide down a slippery slope, just grasping at anything that might work. But it's almost like Paul can read our minds. He seems to know what we're thinking, and, and he actually tells us how to accomplish that, how to not be anxious. He says in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, shalom, which exceeds anything we can understand. His presence, shalom, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What he doesn't say is if you do all these things, all of your troubles will suddenly disappear. He says that God's peace, his shalom, which is this amazing gift that is impossible to understand, can be yours as you draw near to him and trust him with everything. The Spirit of God produces us in, in us this fruit, this peace, this wholeness, this contentment, in, in, even in less than peaceful situations. So peace doesn't come as a result of changing our circumstances. It's a supernatural gift that flows through us and pushes out the turmoil it forces out the worry and keeps the anxiety at bay. Now I want to share briefly another story of a woman who felt alone and anxious and the opposite of peace, and how God stepped into her story and began creating shalom in her life. At the beginning of our time together, I mentioned that peace was not something that has been easy in my life. One of the reasons that peace has been difficult for me is due to a lifelong struggle with mental illness. 
I didn't know until later in life that what I was experiencing was related to my mental health and actually had a name. Now as a mental health therapist, I can name and better understand some of the confusing experiences that were happening to me. When I was 21 years old, God opened the door for me to go to Chengdu, China to serve as a teacher at an international school. Leaving my home country and going overseas was one of the most rewarding and challenging periods of my life, one in which I grew closer to the Lord than I ever had before. But that closeness did not come as anything that I managed to do or not to do. That closeness came from experiencing what it was like to invite others into my brokenness, sin, and shame, and experience God's love and redeeming grace. My first year in China, my, China, my mental health struggles intensified in a way that I had not experienced before. About seven months into what had been a fairly smooth transition, I found myself in a dark place. It was confusing and scary, and I felt overwhelmed and alone. At the very height of my struggle, I attended a conference called the Encouragement Conference, which was put on by a group of believers that had come from California to Chengdu, China, of all places in the world, um, to just to encourage Christian workers who were there serving the Lord. At that conference, I was able to meet with a counselor and prayer team and share with them what had been going on and have them pray for me. It was the first time in my life where I literally felt God move in a time of prayer, and it felt as though the chains that were binding me were broken. During that time, God set me free and started me on a journey of freedom from shame and condemnation and living life with him. It was not an instant transformation or the complete end of my mental health struggles, but it was a start of experiencing God's healing in my life. I am so thankful for that moment in time where I can see God began the work of creating shalom in my life. God saw my need, my pain, and rescued me. He started to become my peace. I don't know what kind of circumstances you are finding yourself in today. I know there are a lot of troubling things happening in the world. War, children being murdered, disease, starvation, injustice, abuse, oppression, slavery. How can we find peace when there's so much suffering in the world? We live in a world of brokenness and pain. I don't have the answers to why things are the way they are and I can't pretend to have simple answers to hard, complex questions. But what I do know without a shadow of a doubt is that God is here, Amen. God loves you, and God's peace is available to you. We're going to listen to a song now. I encourage you to invite God into any situation, thought, or belief that is robbing you of peace and ask God to use it to draw you closer into his loving arms. Showing me the damage done To say that I've been beaten up Doesn't even scratch the surface I'm past the point of acting tough We both know how deep my hurt is I've heard that you're the God Who can restore what this world steals Well, I'm in a thousand pieces Would you show me how it feels when a fragile heart 
find healing hands. The place is numb by pain, start to feel again. Where you fell apart becomes where you begin. When a fragile heart finds healing hands. Learn and purpose from the pain But right now I don't even have The strength to turn the page So hold on to me, Jesus Cause the more I feel you near me These jagged lines from every break Are slowly disappearing When a fragile heart finds you Places numb by pain start to feel again. Where you fell apart becomes where you begin. When a fragile heart finds healing hands. All the tears turn into memories, and the chains they fall down at your feet right here. Places numb by pain start to feel again. Where you fell apart becomes where you begin. When a fragile heart finds healing.